What's up, everybody? Happy New Year's from the Millionaire Mindsets team. Before we start the show, we want to encourage all our listeners to rate, subscribe, and leave a review on our podcast. We greatly appreciate it and enjoy the show. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit Trying to learn some game, Xavier gonna talk about it No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary Still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper, I've been chasing greatness I'm stacking now and balling later, in the conversation We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments And sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people, if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your Profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier gon' talk about it No Deanna, speak that sh** that everybody vouching Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant What's up everybody, welcome to another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast I'm your host, Xavier and today we have another special, special guest. It's going to be a very uh, dope and informative episode. But first, I want to say, Deanna, she won't be in on today's episode. She's not feeling well, but she'll be back on the next episode. I'm sure she's just not feeling well today. So, But getting right into the show, our uh, guest, his name is Henry Washington. He's a real estate investor. He owns 60-plus rental doors. And he, I think he has a very interesting story, and I just want to bring him on. So first, I want to say welcome to the show, bro. Hey, man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Definitely, definitely. It's our pleasure having you on, man. And uh, first question we always ask our uh, uh, guests is, so for the people who are not familiar with you, do you mind just giving the background on yourself? Yeah, man. Uh, so like you said, my name is Henry. I'm a real estate investor. I'm in the Northwest Arkansas market. I've been investing for three, three and a half years now. Um, so not a ton of time in the game, but we've made a lot of progress in a short period of time. Um, like I said, uh, we've got 60 rentals, um, and then we do, we flip, flip about six to 10 houses a year. So, you know, we're constantly, uh, marketing and trying to find good deals and then trying to figure out, you know, how we can, uh, leverage those deals to, to, to make a profit. So, um, yeah, my background is, uh, it's kind of crazy. So three and a half years ago, uh, Man, my business got started because I was uh, trying to figure out how I was going to to have a new way to to make money. I had uh, I, I met my wife and then married her a year to the day that we met, and so like I went from a, the mindset of a you know a bachelor to the mindset of a a husband fairly quickly, and uh, just started feeling the pressure of like you know, how am I going to be able to provide the life I feel like my wife and at that time, future children, um, you know, deserved. And I just, I just didn't have the discipline 
or the financial education or fundamentals to provide that for them at that time. All I knew was that um, I had a good job and I was making good money, but I was spending everything that I make. A lot of the times I was spending it <laughs> before I even got the money, right? So it was like, you know, I needed to change uh, my mindset and find a way to create more income so that I could, you know, do the things that my wife and I were talking about. You know, you get married and you start talking about, you know, what your dream house looks like and, you know, what you want your kids to be able to do and where you want them to be able to go. And, you know, I just knew in all these conversations that like the way I was taking care of things wasn't going to get us there. And so I started, uh, I mean, for lack of a better word, I started panicking <laughs> and uh, uh, in the middle of the night, I woke up just literally panicking about like, what, what am I supposed to do? And I started just, you know, I do what everybody does, right? You get on Google and you figure it out. <laughs> so I started Googling like how to create passive income and like, uh, you know, what are some good side hustles? I was just looking for anything to like, anything to spark some interest that I could get into to make some extra money. And um, I just kept seeing articles on real estate investing and being a landlord and owning rental properties. I kept just, and then I watched this YouTube video and this, this, this kid basically, he was 20 something, was talking about how he was financially free. And he had 20 some odd properties. He was over in the UK, but I was still like, all right, well, cool. If he can do it, I can do it. So I'll just do that. Like that was literally my mindset. I was like, I'll just own some rental properties. And I went back to sleep. <laughs> like I was, <laughs> he was like, oh, I got to figure it out. Right. <laughs> right. So uh, the next day I went and talked to a friend of mine who was a commercial real estate broker and just said, hey, you know, I'm looking to get into investing. What do you know about it? Like, and she gave me a box of books um, and said, pick one of these books and read it. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that even got me more hype. And I was like, all right, well, I'm, finna, I'm about to. So out of that book, I came out with two things. One, I needed to change my mindset about how I saved money and then about how I used money. And so immediately after reading that book, I just started second setting aside 10% of my income for myself. So, you know, I would get paid, I get paid, I tithe 10%, I save 10% and then we live off the rest. And then I used that savings to kind of get started, but I didn't have much. I only had about a thousand dollars in savings at the time when I first got started. So um, but I don't know, man, I just knew that it was for me. And so I just started from, from jump. I just started telling people, you know, Hey, I'm buying rental properties. I'm a real estate investor. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> I didn't have any money to buy any property. I just knew like I was going to put that energy out there and, uh, and see what it brought back to me. And, uh, that's how I landed my first deal. My buddy heard I was buying properties and came to me and said, Hey, I got a house. I got to sell. I got to sell it fast can you buy it? This is what I sell it to you for. And I was like, yeah, man, I'll buy it. <laughs> I had no money. <laughs> Not even I right. Had, I didn't even know, like, I didn't have a contract. <laughs> like, I, 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 was, I, knew, I knew conceptually that I needed to put the house under contract, but I didn't know what that meant or how to do it. So literally it was just like, you know, one step at a time, I went and found a contract from my title company, from a title company, I used that. And then I put it under contract and uh, then I had to figure out how I was going to buy it because I didn't have any money. 
And so that's when I went and started talking to banks um, and just saying, hey, you know, I'm looking to, to buy this property and, uh, you know, what can you do for me? And that's kind of how I fell into how I finance all my deals because I use small local banks. I'd gone to a local bank and just said, what can you do? And they, they talked to me about, you know, these fix and flip type commercial loans. And so, uh, but basically in a nutshell, they told me I needed to come up with 15%. And so now I knew how much I needed, right? I needed 15% of the purchase price. And uh, so I just started brainstorming with a, uh, who a guy who's who was my business partner now, but he wasn't at the time. He was just a just a another investor who, um, you know, who I hung out with and we shared ideas and uh, we ended up we landed on me using a four hundred one k loan. And so I didn't have a four hundred one k. Again, I was financially irresponsible at the time. So, but my wife did, and so we used her four hundred one k. We took a loan against it, got the money we needed, we bought the house and then raise the rents on the tenant that was in there. And uh, that was kind of like the first deal to get it all started. But I know there's a lot of information in there, but I think what was really key with all of that, like was like, I went from not knowing what I was doing, not having any money to like thinking creatively and using mm -hmm. creative financing to buy the deal, right? I, the an entrepreneur's mindset is one of like, how can I get this done instead of yep. I can't do this. And like, I just learned a ton of lessons in that first deal. Mm. And it really opened my eyes to like how powerful real estate can be. Cause once I did all those things and I got my first rent check, I was like, yo, this is crazy. I just, turned, I just turned nothing into income every month. Like, and I, just knew, I knew I had to keep doing that, figuring out how to keep growing. Mm -hmm. That's life changing, man. And it, like you, uh, man, you got a lot that I want to touch on, man. You yeah, just man. said a lot yeah. that I want to touch on. Yeah. yeah. I, but first, I want to say it's so funny that you said, like, how you woke up in the middle of the night, pretty much, like in the sweat, like, wow, I have an epiphany moment. Because I literally, like, yesterday, I was just talking about how most people need that, like, aha moment that, yes. or embarrassing moment, that epiphany to wake up and be like, all right, let me, let me go get on my hustle. Let me improve myself. Because, uh, I always tell this story how mine's because I was in the military. And uh, when I was 23, I was deploying overseas and stuff. And before I left, they had me carry the wheels just in case if you go over there and you die or something like that. So um, yeah. I was on my wheel and I ain't have nothing, bro. Like I remember <laughs> like it was yesterday. I was yeah. writing stuff down. I had I just had shoes. I had like 10 pair of Jordans. I had a watch, I had an Xbox. I had like a little money in savings. And I remember like, I remember like it was yesterday where I remember just sitting there and it just hit me hard. I was like, damn. If I die right now, it's like I've been living for no reason. And I was just sitting there like, I was looking around. I'm like, am I the only one? I, was, I wanted to ask other people like, what y'all? But I didn't want to be nosy. I'm like, what y'all stuff looking like? Cause my eyes is looking trash. So at that moment, I'm like, <laughs> at that, like that was the day, bro. That was the day I was like, man, I ain't never, this is the worst feeling of my life. I ain't never doing this again. I'm like, I'm gonna, let me get on my stuff. So what you have in that moment is like, man, I tell people all the time, like, I don't know, like, cause it's just natural. Like people had those moments when it's their time to have that moment. So I can't, you can't rush it. But a lot of times that's what people, that's what, that's what people need for real. Absolutely, man. I, <laughs> I, I just, it's like that switch goes off, right? And you, you, you've got your reason why, just like that, man. Oh, it, just like that. <laughs> you, know, you know, my life hasn't been the same since that night, man. Mm. It's, it's, it's crazy. And you're right. Like I've, I've tried to, 
bring people along, right? And I've learned that like people aren't gonna do anything until they're ready. And so like, I've kind of changed my tactic from like trying to, you know, force things on them to more if it's just like nudging, right? Sending them little inspirational things, sending them other people's success stories, right? Just like something to help flip that switch, right? Cause yep. they got the switch has to get flipped for them. You don't want to do something, right? To want to make the sacrifice and really jump into this life that's kind of crazy, but. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to also talk about, cause this, I feel like this is, um, cause I know when people hear this, they'll definitely want to dive in. It's, cause it's amazing to hear that. Even when I when I was reading about you, how you turned a thousand dollars into savings, like you just mentioned, into a five million real estate portfolio in three years. Yeah. Like that's, like that's spectacular, man. That's a story that I think anybody can pull like motivation from, but yeah. first, like pretty much what I want to ask is like, what, what, like, what was that first, like first step, even though you kind of touched on it a little bit, was mm -hmm. it just like fixing your mentality or was it just like yeah, finding man. strategies? The first step by far was the mindset shift, right? Because, um, uh, what I learned through, reading that Rich Dad Poor Dad book and through reading The Richest Man in Babylon um, and just through like hearing other investors' stories, like the common denominator that I found was that they made a choice, right? They decided that they were going to be successful, right? And, and to me, what I heard was like, no matter what I face, I'm gonna push through it, right? No matter how uncomfortable I get, I'm gonna push through it because I'm going to make this successful, right? And in order to do that, right, you have to have, you know, a mindset of knowing that you're not gonna quit, right? And knowing that, um, you know, uh, uh, for me, it was that coupled with the, the changing my views on money, because at the same time, I went from spending everything to saving first, right? And when I did that, like, I also got to see the impacts of like, every week I was putting money into an account and then I was watching it grow, right? And so I was seeing like, just me changing a little thing that I do, right? I'm now seeing money grow, right? And I'm now seeing a path to how if I invest that money, how it can grow even more. And it was just those two things combined was just like, just kind of exploding in my brain. Like, I need to keep doing this. I need to keep doing this. Cause I could, I could tangibly see, even if I didn't do a real estate deal, I'm still growing my savings. And then if I just get one real estate deal, look how much that savings changes and grows. And, and it was just, mm. I, mean, I just, I'd never seen money work like that. Like I just, I'd never had exposure to that. Mm. That's, yep. I know what you mean, man. I always talk about how that first time you make money where it has nothing to do with your time or your physical labor, it's pretty much, it's life-changing. You look at money, it forces you to look at money differently. Right. You look at it like, man, I didn't, I didn't, I'm, I'm so used to thinking if I go clock in for 40 hours, I'm gonna make X amount this week. But I just made that amount not doing nothing just because I own right. something. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's a, it's a, um, it's the experience that, I, that this this is why we created this show because this is the experience that I want everybody to have because it's going it's going to change that way you see that the way you look at money is going to change just like what you're talking about. Right. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like I figured out a way to take, you know, um, you know, to take, you know, 
what I, you know, what I call imaginary money and turn it into real money, right? I took, because to me, the 401k is real money. Don't get me wrong. Like it's money that comes out of your paycheck and it goes in there, but it's imaginary to you because you never touched it. You never saw it. Like it just went pre-tax, right? And it's just sitting in some magic account that you're not going to touch till you, you know, 60, some 60, years, old, 60 right? years old, right? And so it's like, it's, it's imaginary money to me. And I was like, I was able to take that, that, that thing that wasn't even real to me and turn it into real tangible money. Like that's, that's insane. Like real estate is so powerful, man. It is. It, it, it is. It's extremely powerful. So that when, when you was doing that first deal and you came up with the idea to get in real estate, like what was the, the, uh, what was your wife thinking at the top? Because the, <laughs> the reason I'm asking, because like when you, when you with somebody, it's so important for, yes. for that, for, for, for them to support you and stuff like that. So Absolutely. like, what was her mentality going forward with that? Um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have, a wife who has supported and trusted these decisions since day one, right? Not, not to say it didn't take something, like not to say I just got to do whatever right. I wanted. <laughs> right. Like we had to discuss it, right? We had to see like, what are the impacts if things go well? What are the impacts if things don't go well? But she was always on board and willing to listen and willing to put her two cents in and and knowing and, and trusted me, you know, to, to take the risks. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've, I've definitely had it easier than some other people I've talked to who's, you know, who've had to work harder to get their spouses on board. But what I would say is like, it's always about like, you got to show with, with anything in life, it's about like, you got to show somebody what's in it for them, right? Like how, how can we take this new venture, right? And it, and it have positive impacts for both of us, right? Because, uh, and I think that's what we did from jump. Like, I was able to say like, Hey, look, if even if we don't ever do a deal, just by us changing how we're putting our money away, look at how much money we'll have at the end of the year. Like, I mean, who can't get on board with that? Like, and it's, and then as we got into like now having to invest money into a property, like for me, it was just all about like being able to show like, here's how much money we're making in the 401k, right? Here's your return on investment, right? Here's the numbers on the rental property, right? So now we're, you know, I'm taking money that's making less than 10% and putting it into an asset that's making more than 10%. And so it's not like, it's not like we were taking, you know, our cash, you know, we were taking money that was already invested and just moving it to a different investment. And by moving it to a different investment, that investment paid the old paid the payment on the new and old investment and paid us right and so once you break things down like that it's easy to kind of see like the, there's more risk in not doing it than there is in doing it man that's a bar right there it's way more risk in not doing it and i, I love that how you talked about like just transferring from one to another because i talk about this all the time too about like pretty much you have to be the quarterback with your finances right. you have to see what's going on what's the best option and put it in there if it's not the best, I should put it in something else. Right. And that's pretty much what you're describing. I love that. And I want to add, I had two things I want to touch on. So where was, where did you buy your first deal? And uh, yeah, we can start there. Where did you buy your first deal? Yeah, it was in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas, uh, single family home. Okay. Okay. And uh, so how much was it, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I'll, I'll run through it. So it was, uh, uh, I bought it for 115000 It was a three bed, two bath like 1400 square foot house um, built in the early 2000s. Um, 
and the the situation was uh, it was a good buddy of mine it was his personal residence he moved out um and rented it to a friend of his just to cover the mortgage because he this guy the plan was this guy was going to fix build up his credit and then he would buy the house and my buddy had moved out because he was living he had found a situation where he could live for free so that he could save his money because he he was buying this big property that was associated with the church that he was involved in and so like his plan was save up this money so that i can afford this property that the church is involved with so that I could use it to benefit the church. Right. And then, and so he had got to the point where now he had to buy that property and the type of loan he was going to use, he couldn't have his, his primary residence mortgage still there. And so he had to sell that so he could get this property that he was going to get for the church. And the guy who was living there just wasn't in a place to buy it yet. And so he came to me like, bro, I got to sell it. Here, I just, here's what I need to get out of it. If I can get this much out of it, you can have it for this price. And I was like, perfect. So I bought it for 115. It was worth 140 at the time. And then uh, I just left the same tenant in it and I raised his rent to market rents. So he was paying like 950 and I raised it to 1100. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, that was, <laughs> it, was, it was it, man. It was, it was that clean. Um, you you want but, the purchase. Right. And so it wasn't like, as far as the rent to purchase price, like it wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a grand slam of a deal, but it's definitely a single, but with real estate, there's so many other options. So what I was able to do was now I had a property with equity in it. So I took a line of credit out against the equity and then had access to that money to buy more deals. Okay. Okay. See, uh, the, I'm glad you said that because that was that literally was gonna lead to my uh, next question because I think your story is so dope because a lot of times when I talk to people about real estate, they have this idea where, oh, I'm gonna need a hundred thousand, I'm gonna need two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand to get started in the game. And hearing your story, you had a thousand dollars in your savings and you got one, and then you did you strategize to get your next one. So that, that's that that was perfectly leading to my right my next question where I was gonna ask. Well, cause I know you talk about, uh, you talk about the law of the first deal. So I yeah. wanted to talk about like leading up to your second deal, third deal and all that. Yeah, yeah, man, that first deal, the first deal is always the hardest, right? But it, man, once you, but it, it opens your mind up to what's possible. Before I bought that deal, I had no idea I could use a 401k to buy property. I had no idea I could take out a line of credit on equity and use that money to buy property, right? Like all this learning along the way opened my mind up to more possibilities to, to how I will be able to buy more property, right? I didn't know about using loans from small banks, right? So the I bought that property with a loan from the small bank, but they were able to give me 85% of the purchase price. They also gave me rehab money, right? If I, if I needed to rehab the property, they, they loaned me 100% of whatever I needed to rehab the property all I had to bring was a 15% down payment. And I was like, I didn't know that. I thought if you were going to buy a property, like I thought all these house flippers were buying property, right? And then using their own money to fix it up, right? And then selling it. And I'm like, right. oh, I got 50 grand to fix up a house, right? But that's not what they're doing. There's just all these things that you don't know. So once you get that first deal, you learn all these lessons, you learn all these things, these options that are available to you, right? And you leverage those things to get your next deal, right? So that your next deal is easier and the next deal is easier, right? That first deal is what's difficult. But um, uh, 
it's it's just a matter of like getting your foot in the door, get in the game. Once you get, that's why they say, man, you just got to get in the game. Once you get in the game, it gets easier from there, and that's one hundred percent facts, man. Yep, man, that's that's a thousand percent facts. Like the uh, something I always say is like jump in the game because you're not because people people try to wait until everything's perfect. Yeah, but it, everything can't be perfect because you don't have the experience. The experience is what makes perfection. And, so, there's, and there's always going to be something, right? There's always going to be something always. in your life that you could say, man, I'll do it after this, right? Like, that's never going to go away, right? <laughs> it's never going to, it's all, it, stuff will always pop up. This is the moment you feel like you may think you're ready, right. something else is going to pop up, then you're going to push it back again. So right. you, like, like you just said, you, you, you have to jump in the game. So for your uh, following deals, were they in Arkansas as well, or did you start? Yeah, every, everything I do is in my local market here in Arkansas. And, um, uh, you know, you know, I always tell people you, you do need You know, there's, there's a myth. There's no, there's no getting into real estate without money. It takes money to get into real estate. It just don't have to be your money. And it just don't have to be like tangible money. It can be equity, right? It can be, um, you know, another investment, right? There's all these options. Like money just means buying power, but buying power doesn't have to be actual dollars in your bank account. Man, I, I, I love this because this, this is a lot of game for people. Because like I said, people have that big, that big misconception where they need a whole lot of money to get People started. have access to buying power. They may not have access to their own dollars, right? They just don't know where to go look for that buying power. But like, if you got, I mean, I, I leverage, I leverage you know, private money a lot, right? Sometimes when I buy these houses, then they require a 15% down payment, like along this journey, you know, you hear all the time, like people, I'm sure you hear it all the time too. You tell people, Hey, you know, I invest in real estate. I got rental properties or I flip houses and they go, Oh man, I've always wanted to do that. Right. I've always wanted to do that for all me. The time. For me, that's, that's a guy I need to talk to because I'm like, you can get into that. You can get into that through me. Right. You got money in a savings account. Yeah. I got some money in a savings account. Well, what if I told you you could loan me 15 grand for three months? I'll pay you back 16 grand guaranteed. No, you know, bit, yeah, right. They get that face, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Or what I say, what if, what if, you know, what if you let me borrow 15 grand for three months? I'll pay you back 20% on your money, right? They go, okay. And I say, I'll guarantee you get paid back that 20%, right? And, and, and right. So for me, you know, there's a lot of people who know somebody with money in a savings account, right? Just because you don't know how much it is doesn't mean you don't know a person that has it, right? So just, you got to listen for those cues when you're talking to people. Um, so what I do is I'll borrow the down payment from somebody and then I'll flip the house uh, or burr the house, pull that money back out and I'll pay them back and I'll pay them a fee for letting me borrow their money for three months because I'd much rather pay, you know, $1,000 to borrow 15 grand versus having to use my cash to pay a down payment and tie my cash up because I never know when a great deal is going to come around the corner. I want to keep my cash liquid. So mm. there's all these creative ways to buy deals where you don't have to spend any money. I love that. I love that you talk talking about like keeping your cash liquid and also obtaining the properties. Mm -hmm. I think I think a lot of investors, especially first time investors, they, they might struggle with that. They may say, I want to keep, I want to stay liquid, but I want to get the property too, but I don't know right. how to get the property and stay liquid at the same time. Like right. a lot of people struggle with that. So you giving out that game is, man, that's, that's, that's a major, major gym. Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah, 
And, and another way I do it too is through through leveraging these small banks. Like what a lot of people don't realize is these small banks, like they need real estate investors business, right? They're not these huge city banks and Bank of America's who are making all this money off of, you know, first time home buyers buying, buying their first time homes, right? They need deposits and small loans, right? In order to stay, you know, in business. And so if you can build a relationship with these small banks, and you can buy a really good real estate deal, a lot of the times they'll finance 100% of it, right? They're not going to do it, you know, the very first time you walk in the door. But once you build a relationship and they see, you know, what you're doing and they see that um, you know how to find, you know, and, and, and work a good deal, right? Then you can put yourself in a position where you don't have to worry about bringing down payments for deals. Mm, yep. It's just... Yeah. It's, it's there's so many ways, man. If you need <laughs> money, it don't have to be yours. Yeah, that's real. That's real. And I want to ask you. So, when did um, or did you start buying multi units? Yeah, man. I, I bought that first single family, and then you asked about the next deal. So, like, I bought that first single family. I took out a line of credit, and then at the same time, um, I started doing. I used. Uh, I started doing marketing, direct mail marketing, to try to find more deals because I knew immediately, like. I got to find more off-market deals so that I could rinse and repeat that same thing. And so um, I started marketing to find more deals that started bringing deals my way. And then now I had capital from that uh, refinance to buy another deal, right? Um, and so that's kind of how the first deal led to the next deal and the next deal because I uh, had money to market and then money to uh, buy if I needed to. And then, I, you know, less fear as well, right? I had already taken the leap. So now it was just like, start the wheel turning, man. Let's keep going. Yep. And the reason I asked that question is because, like, I know me, when I first started, I started with a single family, too. And then I was like, I started thinking later on, like, man, I didn't have to start with it. I could have bought a right. multi, but in my head, it was like, oh, this is my first entry to real estate. Let me get a just a single family. But the same amount of time and the processes that I took to get a single would have been the same amount of time or process that would have took me to get more doors. Yep. So that's why that's why I asked that. Yeah, I bought, let's see, I bought, I brought several singles before I bought a duplex, but it wasn't like, there wasn't any rhyme or reason to why that happened. It's just, so So for me, my business has always been built around marketing for good deals, right? And so I do less of like trying to buy a specific type of property and more of just trying to make sure I get good deals because I know if I can get good at finding good deals, I'll never have to worry about money again. I'll have multiple exit strategies, right? I can flip it. I can, you know, wholesale it. I can wholetail it. I can, you know, rent it out, right? I can just sell it to another investor as it is, not even have to rehab it, right? If you buy it cheap enough and there's enough equity in the deal, you can always get out of it and make money uh, multiple ways. And so that's what I focused on. And so my first several deals just happened to be single families because that's what the marketing led me to. And then once I landed my first duplex, I was like, oh, this is this this is where it's at. This is where it's at. And so then I tweaked my marketing a little bit so that I was marketing to more multifamily uh, properties. Um, but I still I didn't just market just to multifamilies because there's money in the in the singles, too. I just don't have to keep them. So I kind of switched my strategy from um, marketing for everything. And then I would keep the multis 
sell the singles. That's, that's brilliant. And uh, you mentioned the term uh, good deal. And this is a question I always like to ask real estate investors because I feel like sometimes it varies. But I think at its core, is all the same. But in your opinion, what define what is a good deal? Yeah, man, for me, it's, you know, I, the 70% rule works well in my market. So for me, if I can buy a home at 70% of the market value, meaning, you know, at 30, at a 30% discount and, um, and then minus any other repairs that it needs, like, I know I can make money on that property in multiple ways. So, uh, you know, in, in a nutshell, if the property is worth a hundred thousand dollars and I can buy it for 70, that's a 30% discount. I like that. And then if it needs $10,000 worth of work, that mean, and I can buy it. So that means I got to buy that property for 60. I know if I buy that property for 60, I can make money renting it. I can make money flipping it. I can make money selling it to another investor as it sits. And so for me, that, for me, that works in my market. Yep. I, I love that. I love that. And, uh, another, another question I had, cause this, I feel like this is this is a really important conversation, and this is just a, a random question that popped up in my head. Because I've been th the reason I'm asking is because I've been having this conversation with a lot of people lately. So I'm like, let me let me ask him what you think. Do you think do you think after a, a certain amount of success in anything, especially when you become financially independent, do you think? Do you, I'm trying to make sure I ask this correctly sure. so people can fully understand what I'm saying. Do you? Well, I'll just put it like this. Do you think that changes you? Like, do you think after a certain amount of success, whether it's financially or any business, does that change? Uh, I'll give a couple of answers to that. Um, I don't think money changes you. I think money amplifies who you already are, right? So like, if you're a good person, right, at your core, having access to more money is only going to increase the good that you can do, right? It's going to increase, um, you know, amplify that good in you because you can affect more people, businesses, lives with, you know, access to more capital. That's just a fact, right? If you're a crappy person or a selfish person, right? It'll just amplify your ability to be crappy and selfish, right? And so I think that, um, Money doesn't, doesn't change you, it amplifies you. Um, success, um, I do think success changes you a little bit, but not in a way that like changes the core of who you are. But um, I think it changes the way you view like, uh, you know, how things are possible, right? Before I was successful, I didn't know that any of this was possible. I didn't know that like I had the knowledge and ability to change not only my life, but the lives of those around me by just simply showing them what's possible, right? And being there to help educate once they're open to it, right? And so, um, you know, before I had a taste of that success, I never, I you know I wasn't really you know, educating people on, on anything, but I found right through being an investor and through learning these things that I feel like I have a responsibility to share it with as many people as who will listen. Cause I feel like, you know, people who look like us don't, don't haven't historically had access to this type of financial information or education. And so 
I feel like it's my responsibility to share that with as many people as possible. And that's not something I, that, I, that I thought about before or did before. So did that mean success changed me? I don't know if it changed me. It, maybe it did a little bit, but it, 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 it kind of gave me more purpose. Mm, I love that answer, man. And like I said, the reason I asked, and that just popped up in my head, but I've been having a conversation a lot with uh, other people. And like, I see, I see it pretty much the same way you see it. And I see, because you know, a lot of times when people hear the word change, they look at it from a bad standpoint. Like, man, right. you change and stuff. But I think, like you said, first of all, when you're trying to build success, first you have to have a mentality flip anyway. So right. that and then you have a mentality flip, you start attaining information. And I think by naturally, once you know different things now, your actions is a little different now because you can't do this and you know better now. You're like, man, right. I can't go spend X amount of money doing this. I know if I put it into this, it'll be better. So, you know what I'm saying? It could change your actions a little bit, but like you said, at your core of who you are, it'll, it'll just amplify it with yeah, you, personal values. I don't, I don't think who I am as a core person has changed. Right. My circumstances have changed. <laughs> right. Have changed, right. Who I choose to spend time around and who, right, um, who I choose to let influence my thought process and decision-making has changed, right? Because we are, we are who we choose to spend time around, right, wrong, or indifferent, right? It's, it's, it's human nature, right? As humans, we naturally take on the, 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 uh, I can't think of the word, but we naturally take on the characteristics of people around us. We, we, we're, we're geckos like that. Like it's not, as much as you try like to fight it, like whoever you are around, you take on a little a little bit of each of those people in your actions. And so if you're not if you're not uh, purposeful in ensuring that the people you're spending time around are having a positive influence on you and uh, have achieved the things that you want to achieve, right? Then you know your circle's going to hold you back, right? You know if you hang out with a bunch of people who, you know, you know, aren't successful and who haven't achieved a whole lot, when you start having thoughts and visions and dreams and aspirations of achieving more, right, they're going to project their fears on you because they haven't achieved it and you haven't seen it be achieved by the people around you. And so you might start to think that that's not possible. But if you are surrounding yourself with people who have achieved what you're already trying to achieve, right, then you already know. I know it's possible. I've seen them do it. And they're no different than me. So I know I can do it. Like your brain is just open to more ideas. And so, yeah, you change your surroundings and that might might lead people to, to say, hey man, you've changed and you haven't changed, but your circumstances and surroundings have. Mm, I love it, I love it. And something that, something that you just talked about, I think this is a really important topic. I think it could be helpful to a lot of people because um, there's, there's some people that may not have access to many resources or access to people that even have resources. They might be at the bottom where they don't have much money. Like, what would your advice be to that person if they could say, like, I don't have access to people that's successful? How can I, like, you know what I'm saying, get get game or get the, the I can't think of the word right now. But Yeah, no, I, I get it. Yeah. My, my, answer, my answer to them would be, yes, you do, right? Right here. <laughs> like the, the every the, you in your hand, right? There everything that's ever been known is here. You you can access it, right? Yep. Like and everybody got a phone, right? Everybody. Right, wrong or different. Everybody got a phone or access to the internet. 
even if you don't got it at your house, go to the library, like you can get on the internet, right? And so like, even if you don't like, sure, it's hard for a lot of people to just find five millionaires to go be friends with you, right? <laughs> right. I, I get that that's, that's not easy, right? But you can do it here, right? If you get on yep. your phone right now, most people get on their phone right now and they get on Instagram, right? They're following, you know, you know, rappers and, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, the Kardashians and like, oh, right, right. Like change your filter, filter all that stuff out, right. And start following people who inspire you and like, just fill your timeline with that. Right. Cause if that's what's going in your brain versus, you know, people, out here buying a bunch of Jordans and 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 rappers and things like that's going that's going to slow you down, right? Mm. Just change your feed. If you can't if you can't physically go out and be friends with a bunch of millionaires, like filter out all the crap off of your feed and put, you know, people who influence you and people who you know uh, make you want to be better. Like surround yourself with that on your feed, right? And that will naturally lead you to people like that in real life. Because once you start filling your brain and seeing like the char characteristics of these people and how they think and how they act, you'll start to recognize it in people on the street. And when you're out and about and you meet somebody and you're like, yo, that sounds a lot like, you know, so-and-so that I follow. Maybe I need to, you know, connect with this person, right? Mm. And that's how you can change your, your physical surroundings. I, I, man, I'm, I'm, I'm making that face because he's spinning right now. I hope this ain't going over people's heads because like, and the reason that I asked that question because I wanted people to realize that, because I always say this, that there's no excuses, especially in this, because some people might say like, oh man, I'm not, I'm not, I might not have access to these people. But like you said, you have a phone. And just because, I always like to say, just because you're in a situation where it may not be a good situation, it don't mean you have to be there mentally. The first right. step is to escape that situation mentally because I know when I was, when I was broke, like what helped me, you mentioned the library, man. I used to walk, I used to walk like close to a mile. This when I was like in high school to the library every day. And I used to just read books. And the first stuff that's, the, it's funny you mentioned Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because that was the first financial book I read. And when I read that, like, cause I see uh, nowadays, a lot of people kind of shit on that book. But I'm yeah. like, when I read it, it was everything for me. Cause it helped me like, even though I wasn't where I wanted to be in reality financially, mentally, it was like, okay. I'm already there mentally, so I just got to take the, right. the necessary that mental stuff. foundation, man. It was yeah, there. it was there. So I was like, that, that, that. I, I love everything you just said, man. That's a, that's a lot of game for people. Absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. That that. So you know, filter the crap out on your phone and filter the crap out in your life, man. If you got people around you who are just always spitting negativity at you, right? Who don't understand your vision, who don't understand where you're trying to be, and and try to you know get you to doubt it, like. You gotta let that. You gotta let. You gotta let that go. You gotta spend less time around them, right? Because you need that positivity. And if you can't, if you can't immediately surround yourself with positive people, physically, then do it virtually. But cut that physical connection down, right? I'm not saying never talk to them people again. I'm just saying limit your time around them and limit what you talk about, right? You don't gotta share everything with them. Your vision is for you, right? Like God put that in your head, right? Yep. For you to execute on. And so if somebody else doesn't understand it, that's okay. It's not for them. It's for you. Right. So you don't let them talk you out of your vision. I love it. I love it, man. And I, I want to now I want to dive into your course on how to finance deals with, with little to no money out of pocket using small banks. Yeah, you might just uh going into what in detail and covering all that. 
Yeah, man. So I, again, like part of the reason that I've gotten to where I've gotten to was there's a few hurdles, right? There's a hurdle of, um, you know, how do you pay for these deals, right? And when you're new and you're thinking through, all right, I want to buy some rental property, the hurdle I kept hitting in my mind was like, all right, I got to save up 20 grand and then I got to spend that 20 grand to buy a property. And then I got to save up 20 grand again before I go buy another property. And right. And so I was like, that can't be how all these people are doing it. I, got, I see these investors, they got 20 doors, 30 doors, 50 doors, 100 doors, and they haven't been investing that long. Like, there's got to be a way that these people are doing it, right? I just have to figure out what that is. And for me, I figured out like using small and local banks, right, to finance these deals. And then um, uh, because a small bank can finance, like I said, up to 85% of the purchase price, but they'll also finance 100% of the rehab. So if you gotta, if you gotta buy a property for 100, 100 grand, just for round numbers, right? If you're buying a property that's worth 100 grand and you're paying uh, 50 for it, and then you need uh, 20 to fix it up, the bank will loan you 85% of the 50 to buy it and 100% of that 20 grand to fix it up. All you gotta bring is 15% of that 50, right? For you to control that. And then there's some strategies you can use um, so that you don't really even have to bring that 15. It don't have to be your money, right? There's ways that you can that you can do that. And there's ways that you can continue to work with these banks so that they'll finance even more of your deal. And so I just wanted to put together, I wanted to put all that information that took me kind of months to piece together just in one place for people so that they could start to see, all right, put together a plan for how they're gonna grow uh, past just one or two properties, right? Um, like I said, I've got 60, 60 rental doors and um, I wouldn't have been able to get there unless I had a, a, a strategy to finance all those doors, right? And to leverage financing to get there. And so I just kind of talk about those methods, kind of how to prepare yourself um, to get the best financing. There's some, you know, tips and tricks for like uh, how to be, how to be ready and, and, uh, and how to answer the questions that are going to be asked of you by these financial institutions, right? But also what questions you need to be asking them, right? Because at the end of the day, I know you're going to them for money, but they need your business, right? They work for you. You don't work for them, right? And so how to have that, that right approach to, to, to get the best financing for your deals. Um, but if you do this right, man, it can really help you grow and scale your business so that you can get, get to your financial freedom quicker. So uh, what are, if you don't mind uh, sharing, what are some of the questions that people should be asking when they go to yeah, these man, small banks? Yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And so um, when you're dealing with small banks, you want to be able to, I guess I closed out the PowerPoint here. So you want to be able to, you want to, you want a bank that's an expert in your market, right? That's the, it's kind of the idea behind having a smaller local bank. So, um, you need to ask them things like, how long does it stand? How long does it take them to get a deal to the closing table, right? Um, a lot of the times as a real estate investor, right? We buy off market deals usually, right? So that we can get them at a discount, right? Most people aren't gonna sell you their home at a discount unless they have a strong reason to, 
right? And a lot of the times that reason is time. They need to sell fast because they need money to go pay this bill or they need money to go pay these court fees or they need to move to another state because they got a sick family member, right? You're buying a situation, right? And if you can't solve that situation in the time that they need, then they would just go sell it for retail value. And so timing is key. So you need to know how long is it going to take these banks you're going to work with to get a deal to the closing table, right? You need to know, um, are these banks doing third-party appraisals or are they doing in-house appraisals? Because that plays into your timing, right? Appraisals are usually the thing that takes the longest amount of time for a bank to get to the closing table because if they have to outsource it, that means they got to call, you know, Joe's appraisal service. Joe might be backed up with other customers. He can't get out there for two to three weeks. Joe gets out there. It's going to take him another week to produce a report and send that to you. So now you're three, four weeks in and the appraisal still not done. Right. Whereas if the bank does an in-house appraisal, that's somebody in that bank that just pulls comps and runs the appraisal from their seat. They can do it in an hour or two. Right. And so if you've got to move quickly, you don't want to tie your deal up with a bank that's got to do a third party appraisal when you can when you can use a bank that's got it. It's going to do an in-house appraisal and you can get to that closing table in a couple of weeks. So, you know, knowing how long it's going to take your bank to close is important. And then asking them like how they communicate with uh, with their customers, right? You want a bank that's going to communicate with you in the way you need to be communicated with. Again, they're working for you. You don't work for them. And so if they're not going to communicate with you in the way you need to be communicated with and provide you with the customer service you need for your business to be successful, then that's probably not a bank you want to work with, right? I tell, you know, people banks that I want to work with, like, hey, I need to be able to text you and ask you questions. Is that something I can do, right? If they say no, then I know that that's not a bank I should work with. That's not to say they might not be a good bank, but for me, I'm busy. I don't have time to go write an email every time I have a question. Like, I need to be able to text somebody, right, and, and ask a question and get a status update, right, quickly, because a lot of the deals that I do require quick turnarounds. And so if you can't communicate with me in the way I need to be communicated with, then that's not a bank I want to work with because I could lose a deal, right? Waiting on an answer from you, right? That's money in my pocket. It don't affect you, it affects me. So um, those are just some of the things that I like to hit on. And, you know, there's, there's several other questions, but those are like some of the conceptual things that people need to understand when they're, when they're getting into doing business with a bank, right? Because all of these things lead to you building rapport with that bank. Because if you're communicating, if they're communicating well with you and you're communicating well with them, if you're buying good deals, right? quickly turning them around fast and selling them, making a profit or renting them out and making a profit, right? And you guys have this great working relationship, that bank is gonna be much more likely to give you more beneficial financing for future deals. So if you wanna to get to that point where you don't gotta bring down payments because that bank trusts you and what you're buying, right? You, you wanna lay the foundation and build the relationship, right? And foster that banking relationship, right? So that you can get there quicker. Okay. And do you feel like it's easier, it becomes easier to work with banks after you establish a relationship and you guys are yeah, business? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And, and then some of the things I talk about in the course too are ways that you can build trust with that bank before you've even done a deal. Right. So that way you're already building trust and you haven't even done a deal. Right. How you speak to them, how you answer their questions, how prepared you are when you walk in that door or when you contact them on the phone for the first time. Right. Like, 
if you've got all your information ready to go when they ask for it, right? And you can flip them everything they're asking for immediately. They're like, oh, this guy's got his crap together, right? This is somebody we want to continue a banking relationship with because lending to him makes my bank money and makes my life easier because he's got his ducks in a row, right? And so I've built trust and I've never even done it. They already want to do business with me and they don't even know what I'm buying yet, right? And so that helps you get better financing. I love it. I love it. And uh, I want to ask you about the the, the biggest hurdles and uh, from a two-point standpoint, like what are some of the uh, biggest hurdles when it comes to to managing uh, 60 plus units <laughs> and what were some of the biggest hurdles on that journey to get into that point? Yeah. Um, so the biggest hurdles to managing 60 plus units. Um, I think that you know, good managing your properties doesn't have to be as tedious or as difficult as people think it is. Um, there's enough free online tools you can use to build processes that make your life a whole lot easier than there was when, you know, you know, people like my dad's age were, were, were having rental properties, right? Where you just didn't have access to those things. But I use an online property management system that, that's free. Um, and I, I, just, I just put my processes in place to make my life easier. So all my tenants have to pay rent in my property management system. They can't mail me a check. They can't pay me in cash, right? They can't, you know, they can't do anything but pay through my system, right? And it's free for them to pay. Um, and so it's not like it costs them more money to pay their rent in that system. But like, if you think about, just think about the processes, right? Like if somebody cuts you a check, right? They've just created a chore. They've created an extra task for you because now you got to get that check into your bank account, right? Right. And so now you got to, you got to go to the bank, right? If you've got multiple properties and multiple checks, they come on different days. Do you wait till they all get there and then you go pay them, right? And then you go to the bank or do you take them individually? Like it's, there's just, there's steps you're adding to your life. You also, if you're getting people sending you money via check or cash, you've also got to keep track of, okay, this money's from this tenant, this tenant's rent is this much. Okay, they've paid me enough rent to cover their, what they're supposed to pay. So they're good. Oh, this person's $10 short. So when you do that all in a system, all that's kept track for you automatically. So your books are done in the system. So that eliminates a step for you um, and keeps you organized without you having to do it yourself, right? And so I would say you got to find a, a system or a tool that takes care of those things for you. Like my system automatically puts the money in my bank account. It automatically knows who's paid in full, who's late. It automatically charges them late fees if I if I need them if I need it to do that, um, you know. And, and so it kind of it saves my saves a lot of headache. So I'd say the only time consuming part. Uh, also, a benefit to me is like I can't fix nothing. Like I'm not that guy. Like <laughs> I don't know how to fix nothing. I, like I just I, that's not a skill that I was blessed with or was taught. So like if something breaks, I gotta call a guy anyway. And so I never had that problem where some investors who are handy have where they go, I could go fix this for twenty five bucks, or I could call a plumber and pay a hundred bucks. For me, I've always had to just call the plumber, right? And so. Um, but that saved me time and headache because now I don't have to even worry about thinking about spending my time doing that. I just call a guy, right? And the system that I use also has a work order system. 
in there. So if something breaks, the tenant just goes into the same system that they pay rent in. They click on the work order tab. They say, hey, X, Y, and Z broke. The system sends me an email and I just forward that email to whoever, the plumber, the electrician, the appliance guy, whoever it is, I just got to forward an email. So I take care of all my, my uh, maintenance by hitting the forward email button, right? And so um, that's not really time consuming. The thing that is time consuming is when you have a vacancy, having to show the property to people and then um, and that and that whole process. And so the way I've streamlined that is I do open house style showings. So I pick one to two days a week that fits in my schedule at my time, right? And I say, when people wanna see the property, if they see an ad for the property and wanna see it, I say, great. I have an automated message. It's, I typed it out one time, it's in my notes. And so if somebody wants to see the property, I say, hey, glad you're interested in XYZ property. Um, I will be there on, you know, Tuesday at 11.30 and Saturday at, you know, noon, right? Those are the times I can be there. That's it. I send it to them. If they want to show up, they got to show up then to see it and there'll be multiple people there. Because kind of what I've learned is if you just try to make an appointment for everybody that wants to see it, a lot of the times these people don't even show up. And so you right. waste your time, mm -hmm. right? Um, but if you do the open house style showing, it creates a little bit of competition. If somebody really likes the property, you might get applications quicker. Um, and then it helps you see like who's on time, who's late. I only stay, like I say, I'll be there at 11 and, I, and I'm there at 11 and I'm gone by 11, 15, 11, 11, 20, 25 at the latest. I don't stay long. Doesn't take long for somebody to walk through a property. I told them I'd be there at 11. That's when I expect them to be there. If they're rolling up at 1130, sorry. <laughs> right, like, you know, cause that, that might help me weed out somebody who might be a problem tenant, right? And I'm not to say that everybody who's late is gonna be a problem. I'm late to stuff, right? But it's just a way to help you try to get the best tenant possible. Get the best tenant possible because getting the best tenant is gonna make that process uh, and experience. So much oh, oh, it's gonna make it so much easier, man. Yeah. Like, we, like uh, me and Deanna, we always teach people the importance of, 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 of getting that, that great tenant. Cause oh, like, like you just said, it's gonna make it, like knowing that they're gonna pay you on time, knowing that they're yeah. not gonna mess up your place. They don't have any evictions. They have a sta steady and stable job. Like all this stuff is extremely important. It's stuff because you know, a lot of times when you first get in real estate, you got that property looking for a tenant, you just let anybody in just because you're so happy to have this property yeah. and have somebody in there. But a lot of times that's one of the worst methods you can use for finding a tenant because yeah. they end up being a tenant that's just going to be a headache. And then you're going to be one of those people saying, oh, I hate real estate because I know people like that. They yeah. had this bad experience. They're like, oh, I hate real estate. Not for me. I hate real estate, man. It's, right. it's terrible. It's terrible. It's like, yo, you just didn't do your due diligence on your part. That's it. <laughs> and you have to. And, and again, the entrepreneur's mindset, right? You have to be you have to be, um, you have to know as an entrepreneur, when you face a problem that's giving you a headache, it's just a problem you haven't solved yet. It's just, you haven't educated yourself enough to know how to fix that problem yet. It's not that it can't be fixed. It's not that it's not gonna be a pain in the butt while you're working through it, but you just have, to, there's something you haven't learned yet and implemented yet to solve that problem. So once you change your mindset to being like, all right, this is frustrating, but I just need to figure out well, I need to educate myself a little more so that I can stop this from ever happening again. Then that problem is just that problem at one time, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever had any uh, bad tenant experiences? Oh yeah, 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 man. Um, again, when you're buying off-market deals, 
like I said, if you're buying at a discount, you're usually buying a situation more so than you're buying a home. You're buying a situation that somebody needs or wants out of. And so sometimes that situation is a pain in the butt tenant that they don't want to deal with. So you buy that problem, right? And so most of my, most of my problem tenants have been tenants that I've inherited. Um, tenants that I've chose um, through my methods have been fairly decent. Sure, there's some, there's some problems with some of those, but it's usually inherited tenants. Um, and yeah, man, it, it's, it's tough, but I try to always keep, no matter how frustrated I get, I try to always keep in the forefront of my mind that this is a people business, right? And it's a people problem you're solving, not a real estate problem. So like, if you think in terms of like, if I were them, how would I want this situation to be handled and kind of take your, take the, the, you know, the feeling of how personal it is out of it. Right. Cause they don't really know you that you're just their land, that you're, you're some greedy landlord to them. Right. And so yep. like, if you can take that person, take that personal feeling out of it and just think through, all right, if I was them, how would I want the situation to be handled? You can sometimes kind of come to a, 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 a solution. And, you know, sometimes that solution means swallowing your pride a little bit. Right. But you've got to think in terms of a business person, if I got to swallow my pride, right and it gets you out of my property so that i can turn it around to make more money faster that's a better business decision than like me making sure i know that you know that i'm right right that could cost me way more money right but just get over the principle that you want them to feel like you're right and just figure out what's the what's the best way you can get the problem solved or get them out of your property that doesn't harm them or harm your property I love it because I, I, I know some investors that don't do they don't mess with inherited tenants at all, and, and I and from 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 a certain standpoint I can understand it because uh, I've always we, we've always had problems with more, more problems with our inherited tenants than the tenants mm -hmm. we've actually chosen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you you know how that goes. Yeah, so it says so I, I I can understand it and uh I I forgot what was my other yeah so what was your some of the biggest hurdles just on this whole journey. So yeah, far, like, uh, the first biggest hurdle, like I said, was figuring out the financing. And so um, once I, I landed on the small bank strategy, the, 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 I'd say the toughest challenge besides financing is uh, finding, managing, um, finding and managing uh, good contractors, man. Uh, that's, oh, man. That's the hardest <laughs> part about this game to me. It's just... Uh, uh, it's just a different world, man. Contractors are, are a different animal. And, you know, you got to kind of understand, you know, where they're coming from and what they need. Um, and that's been, that's been a tough journey, man. I've, I've, I've got the same sad stories as every other investor of, you know, I've had contractors run off of my money. You know, I've had contractors do what looked like a good job. And then the minute you peel back the first layer after they're gone, they did a terrible job. Like I've, I've got all them stories, man. So I don't, you know, I don't have a ton of advice um, because I'm not, I wouldn't call myself an expert in that arena, but um, uh, things that I've learned are, um, I always create a, a scope of work, even though it's super high level, like I'll create a scope of work that says like room by room, you know, master bedroom, paint the walls this color, paint the trim this color, right? Um, put this kind of flooring down, you know, take the light fixture down, put a ceiling fan up, right? Super high level, but like I do that room by room and then I send it to contractors on the front side before they bid so they can see the size of the prize. 
um, and that sometimes saves you from dealing with a contractor who doesn't really want to do your project because it's too small or who doesn't really want to do your project because it's too big right and a lot of the times what happens is they'll come out and they'll look at it even though they don't they know on the front side they don't really want to do it um, or just based on what you said and they'll give you a too high bid or something right to kind of deter you from taking the job it's just a waste of time so knowing what you want and then making sure that they understand what you want on the front side helps you get a better quality bid. Um, I've also learned not to be afraid to pay for bids, right? I used to be very anti, like, like you want to come, you want me to pay you just to come show up and look at my job? Like, that's crazy. Then I know my bid's going to be crazy if you want me to pay you just, right? But I had to get out of that mindset because when you start thinking about it, like somebody who wants to charge you for a bid they're more so being professional than they are trying to nickel and dime you. They know that their time is valuable, right? And they don't want their time wasted. And they feel confident enough in their bidding process to say, hey, you want to bid? I'm going to charge you for it, right? And it's just like anything else. When you pay for something, you expect a better quality than when you don't, right? And so if you're getting a free bid, um, it may not be the best bid. You just guy just came out and spent a bunch of his time, and then bids take time, man. They take effort, you know. And if uh, you didn't pay for that service, you might not get the best bid. But if you're paying a guy, you know, a hundred bucks to come out and bid a job for you, you better believe you're going to get a better quality bid um, and better pricing. And then if you think about it from another perspective, like if you got a you know forty thousand, fifty thousand dollar rehab, you're trying to get bid. Like, who do you want managing your job? The guy who came and, and bid it for free and, you know, took notes on the back of a napkin or, you know, the guy who charged you a hundred bucks and came and gave you a professional bid. Like, who do you want managing your large job? So <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a easy decision right there for sure. Right. <laughs> and uh, I only had, I had uh, probably like two, two more questions yeah, for man. you. Let's do it. Yeah. So uh, one of them was, so for someone, someone that's listening to this, and they like in a similar position we were years ago when they only probably had a little money to save us. They thinking about getting into entrepreneurship and doing these great things in business. What would be your best advice to them that they could take, they could take and grab immediately and, and implement? Uh, are they interested in real estate or just entrepreneurship in general? I would say, uh, let me see. Let's start with real estate. Yeah, man. If it's real estate, uh, that's that's simple for me. Um, <clears throat> real estate, there's a ton of things you can learn, right? There's a ton of strategies, you know. There's a ton of there's a ton of ways you can get into the game, right? And but if you think about the common denominator among among every different kind of real estate strategy, is you got to be able to buy a good deal, right? If you can't, if you if you if you pay too much for your deal, you can't flip it, you can't rent it out. You can't sell it, right? The key, you know, you definitely can't wholesale it. So the key to any strategy being successful is finding a good deal. So I would filter out all the noise as a new investor. If I knew I wanted to get into being a real estate investor, I would focus A, on learning what a good deal is in my market. What's a good deal in my market look like? And then once I know that, I would focus on what strategy am I gonna use to find good deals right and so get in and around investors in any way shape form pop you can right you need to be an investor facebook groups you need to be an investor you know local real estate investor association meetings any place local real estate investors are gathering 
you would need to be there um, because that's where you're going to learn what a good deal looks like. If you are in and around investors, just start asking them, hey, man, what's your best deal? What, what What's the best deal you ever did? Investors love talking about how much money they made, right? Go, right? But every time you're talking to an investor about their best deal or their worst deal, you're gleaning information about what a good deal looks like or doesn't look like, right? Um, and then, you know, figure out what your off-market deal finding strategy is going to be. You can literally Google like how to find off-market real estate deals and you'll find a ton of information on different strategies, you know, direct mail, you know, Google AdWords, uh, you know, text message campaigns, email campaigns. There's all these strategies, right? They all require some sort of, um, some sort of ability to be comfortable in uncomfortable situations, right? Because if it was comfortable, everybody would be a, real, a rich real estate investor. So, you know, figure out which off-market deal finding strategy fits your personality and fits your budget. Like you got to be able to fund your deal finding strategy appropriately for it to work. And you got to be able to stick to it, even though it's uncomfortable. So it needs to fit your personality. So I would do those two things. And that's all I would do. The second you get a good deal on the hook, you're going to be so motivated to figure out the rest. You'll yep. be so motivated to figure out how to finance it. Be so motivated to go find your title company. Be so motivated to try to figure out who's going to rehab it. Like you'll figure the rest out. So I would let, I would let your circumstance help you figure that out. But just focus your time and attention and money and energy on finding a good deal. Mm, okay. And what about somebody who's may, maybe not interested in real estate, but just becoming a, a full-time entrepreneur, a businessman, businesswoman? Yeah. Um, uh, I would start small, right? Because it's about um, um, entrepreneurship is a lot of having a lot of confidence in your abilities, right? And um, in your abilities to turn to turn nothing into something. Um, and so I would say if you just want to get started in entrepreneurship, like find a side hustle that's um, fairly easy and inexpensive to get started in and start building some small wins to build that confidence, right? Like, and start thinking differently about like every dollar you spend. Like, so as an entrepreneur, like if you, you know, if you're like, I want to buy, you know, some Jordans, right? Like just as a personal thing, right? Most of your friends would go to work, make a paycheck, get the paycheck, go buy some J's, right? If you want to be an entrepreneur, everything you want to buy, figure out a hustle to pay for it, right? Like, and that will help build your entrepreneurial like muscles. Like, so if you want to buy some J's, cool. Don't go buy some J's when you get paid. When you get paid, go to TJ Maxx, right? Or Ross or somewhere, find some cool shoes they got on a super discount, hop on your phone, look up uh, eBay and Macari and let go and see what people are paying for those same shoes, right? And, and look on Amazon, see what people are paying for those same shoes. If they're paying more than you're able to buy them for, buy them, flip them, take your profits from flipping a few pair of shoes, then go buy some J's, right? That gets your entrepreneurial wheel spinning. It gets you thinking about what's possible and like building business ideas in your head and also get you thinking about like um, how to make money and create money before you go spend money on just a liability. I love it. And this is my, this is my final question I have with us being in new year, 2021. And I know a lot of people have big things they want to do this year. What is your advice on how people can identify their goals and tasks and actually get them accomplished? Because a lot of people, 
they they don't know how to get from point A to Z. Like they don't even know yeah. how that whole process. Like they say, ninety seven percent of people don't even write their goals down. Oh, so like, like <laughs> that's that's literally step one on my list that you asked mm. me. Like mm. gotta write them down. There's something about like the power of manifestation from taking something from your brain and then like physically putting it on paper, right? It's like taking, you know, something that's up here and making it tangible, write it down. I would say write it down and write it down multiple times and put it everywhere you spend time in your house. So like, if you got three to five goals, write them down, piece of paper and write them. Don't type them, write them, pen. Physically write them down on a piece of scratch paper. It doesn't have to look pretty, right? Stick it on your fridge. I got them right here on my, you know, at my desk because I spend a lot of time here at my desk. I got them on a sticky note in my shower because I do a lot of thinking when I'm in the shower and I like to be able to just kind of look back at my goals, right? Like stick them everywhere so that you always have a reminder of like, this is what I'm working towards this year. Like, so it's just always, even when you're not thinking about it, it's, it's, it's staring you in the face and forces you to think about it, right? Because manifestation is a real thing. The more you think about something, the more it manifests itself in your life. And then, um, then what we talked about earlier, step two is change your surroundings. Surround yourself with people who have already done what you're trying to do. If you have a, a vision or goals and you, that goal is to accomplish, you know, whatever it is, then you need to work hard to get around people who have accomplished that, right? Like, so if it's real estate, if you want to buy some rental properties, then you need to be around landlords. So like I said, you need to be in those, in those RIA meetings, like be purposeful about spending as much time as you possibly can around people who've already done what you're trying to do. And it's not to say you got to be best friends with these people. You just need to be where they are, right? If they're at these real estate meetings, you need to be in them, right? You'll naturally make friends as you attend these things. Um, but be where they are, whether that's virtually on your phone or in real life, wherever there are people doing what you want to do, that's where you need to be around. Because if, if, if you're around them and you and you can physically see it's possible, then it feels more real to you. It feels more achievable than if you're surrounded by people who, who haven't done it. Right. And then step three is you just break them down, right? Like it's real. It's, it's, it's one thing to have a yearly goal. It's another thing to have that goal be broken down in the months, in the weeks, in the days, right? You need to make it feel achievable. And so break that goal down, right? And so if your goal is to, you know, save, you know, $20,000 this year, you need to break it down into how much is that every day, right? Right, that kind of a thing, right? If your goal is to, um, you know, own 10 properties this year, then you need to break that down into like how you're gonna get there every day. Um, and then the last thing is, man, just, just take small, steps each day even if you can't achieve your daily goal if you know like hey man I, I only got 10 minutes left before i gotta do x y and z for the rest of the day i'm not gonna be able to achieve my daily goal so what still spend them 10 minutes taking a small step forward it's bite-sized chunks small purposeful action every day towards your goals and you'll and you'll achieve them man and i would say man set big goals right it's uh what do they call it shoot for the moon land on the stars right just because you don't hit your major goal, you still look back and be like, man, I'm way up here though, right? <laughs> like, facts. That's a right? fact. I'm way further than I was when I started. Hey, that's real right there. That's the, like, a, that's, that's why, I, and it's funny, I always say, I always say, uh, everybody should at least strive to be a millionaire because even if you get only 20% of that, you got right. 200,000. 200, right. Having 200,000 for most people, 
is right. a good life is a good life for him. Right, it's life changing. So yeah, I, I love that advice, man. And, and, and wrapping up, man, I just want to say I really appreciate you for taking the time to come on the show and chop it up with me, man. This was extremely valuable. Oh, and before man, I let you go, <laughs> yeah, it was, man, it was. And before I let you go, do you mind plugging in all your stuff where people can find you, follow you, buy the course, everything? Yeah, man. Uh, best way to get a hold of me is Instagram. Um, at Independence Realty Group on Instagram. Uh, I try to answer uh, all my messages, so you can reach out to me there. Um, uh, of course, how to finance deals with little to no money out of pocket. Um, uh, Xavier has the link, um, so I think yep. I'm putting show notes wherever you're gonna put it. Yep. Um, if you use code MM, then you can buy the course. It'll take $30 off. It's a $50 course, so you'll get it for 20 bucks. Um, just for being a listener of this show today. Um, just want to be able to provide people access to that information uh, very affordably. Um, so that's where you can get the course. Uh, you can also click the link on my bio in my Instagram and you can get to the course as well. Um, I've also got a pre-sale going for my second course, which is um, a beginner's guide to finding great real estate deals, right? So I really want to just create this blueprint of as a new investor, here's how you can locate good deals and then here's how you can go finance them, right? So to get over those two big hurdles for investors, right? That's what those two courses are. Uh, that's a half off pre-sale right now. You don't need a code. It's just, it's half off as long as it's pre-sale. It'll release Feb 1 is when the course comes out. So um, yeah, man, uh, that's the best way to get hold of me, Instagram. And uh, you know, like I said, if you got any questions, uh, DM me, shoot me a message. I'll do my best to answer them. I do one-on-one -on -one consultations. Like I said, I don't, I don't charge a ton. It's just like, you know, you know, 50 bucks. If you want to have a phone call and I'll, I'll talk real estate with you. I do deal analysis. I kind of help people analyze deals and let them know if I think, you know, it's a, it's a good deal or not and why. So I try to provide all, uh, multiple ways for, uh, to get information to people. Mm. I love it, bro. And uh, and wrapping up, I just want to say for the listeners, that's all we have for y'all. You guys can find me and follow me on Instagram and the Twitter at Xavier C. Miller. And you can find Deanna. She's at Deanna Kent on all platforms. And you can also follow the Million Mindsets podcast on all platforms. And that's all we have for you guys this episode. Appreciate y'all tuning in to another episode of the Million Mindsets podcast. See you guys next episode. Peace. Something. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit Trying to learn some game, Xavier, y'all gon' talk about it No Deanna, speak that shit that everybody vouching Ain't no more excuses valid, get up off the couch and get up in your bag To your bank account, need an accountant I study millionaires cause I was born a visionary You still believe in limitations, why you acting scary? You can't distract me from the paper, I've been chasing greatness I'm stacking now and balling later, in the conversation We strategizing, monetizing, piling up investments 
and sacrificing temporary sh- for bigger blessings. Yeah, a tapped in boss mind state. I multiply my grind rate and I match the way I vibrate. Gotta get your brain right if you're trying to make a million dollars. If you ain't gonna do it for yourself, then do it for your mama. Only stay surrounded by them people if you know they solid. Elevate your hustle up today to double up your profit. Trying to learn some game, Xavier, y'all gonna talk about it. No, Deanna, speak that sh- that everybody vouching. Ain't no more excuses valid. Get up off the couch and get up in your bag. To your bank account, need an accountant.